Bogatov. So, we begin the last Masechet in uh, Nashim, Masechet Kiddushin, and um, this uh, Masechet, uh, like Yitin, is one that is uh, um, very much uh, uh, learned a great deal in yeshivas. It's got uh, all of the uh, classic Rishonim on it. Um, so, there's a lot of uh, like uh, um, uh, depth uh, in terms of the uh, discussions that revolve around this in, um, you know, in all of the sort of literature that follows it. And uh, part of the reason is, of course, practical, because it deals with issues, halacha issues around marriage and kiddushin. Um, but it's also important to appreciate, you know, the very, the, the sort of diverse nature of the topic, similar to the range of topics that we found in, um, in Gittin. So I wanted to just introduce the comments that I'll make. Is first of all, it's a very short number of prakim, right? Gittin uh, had, uh, how many prakim did Gittin have? Eight, nine, ten, something like that. Anyway, and went to 90 daf. Kiddushin has four prakim, and it goes to 80 daf. Mm-hmm. So it's almost the same size, um, with uh, about half as many prakim. And the uh, first parak is, I think, the largest parak in Shas. Uh, the first parak is 40 daf, uh, which is huge, right? So we're going to be on the first parak for half of the Masechet. And uh, part of the reason is, is because uh, the first parak does not limit itself to topics of Kiddushin. If you notice, right, the Mishnah is Ha'ishan Niknet Trachim, a topic we'll get to in a minute. A woman is acquired in three ways, and at the end of the of the, of the Mishnah it says Ha'yivama Niknet, and then it goes on to Yivama. So if you just had those two, you'd say, okay, Kiddushin and Yibum. That's basically still we're talking about aspects of marriage. But the but the key word there is of course Niknet, purchased. And then as the Mishnayot of this parak continue, it's about how a Evet Ivri is Niknet. How whenever Knani is Nikna, how you buy slaves, how you buy real estate, how you buy chattel, um, all different types of things are being purchased. So that raises important questions about how the Mishnah and Halacha sees Kiddushin, which we'll get to. But what it also just does is it's the first parrot is really devoted not to, not primarily or not solely and maybe not even primarily in terms of as far as the Mishnayas are concerned to issues of Kiddushin but develop two questions about Kinyanim of transactions and how certain things are acquired um, so for a lot of this uh, first parrot this very very large parrot of 40 Dapim we'll be looking at those issues at issues about acquisitions um, along the way by the way we get into interesting discussions about uh, about uh, uh, parental obligations to their children, children's obligations to their parents. Uh, we get the Kibur Avaim, a lot of really like uh, things that you would not have expected was in Masechus Kiddushin. And then by the second parak, we get back to a focus on Kiddushin, Ha'ish Mekadesh, but also there's a, the right words right after Ha'ish Mekadesh is Bo Bishlucho, through himself and through his agent. So while Gitin began with the whole issue about an agent bringing a get and saying Bafani Nechtam, Bafani Nechtam, and so on, it sort of took the institution of agency somewhat for granted, although there was an area where it questioned exactly who could be an agent and who not, etc. Anyway, so the whole idea of shlichus gets a very direct treatment um, in the, uh, you know, in, in the second parak. We go on, we have issues around Tnaim, which we had a lot by Gitin, and then the fourth parak is about Asara Yuchsin, has to deal with questions about lineage and about, if you, do you know, if about, about Mamze Ruth, and do you know who somebody's 
parents really are and when there are questions to somebody's parentage and so on. So a very wide and diverse uh, range of topics um, and uh, that and hence you know even something as small as four platim is actually going to be 80 daf. So we have a nice uh, large and deep mesechet in front of us um, and we will now uh, begin. So we will take a we'll start at right here Beis Amad Aleph of course where else to begin with uh, the first uh, Mishnah. So we have as follows. A woman is acquired in three ways. And acquires her own freedom, herself, if you would. Rashi says, Rashi says, If you look at Rashi, to be under her own control. Primarily for the idea that she can now choose to marry uh, somebody else. You know, there are other aspects as well, in terms, of course, in terms of like, who's entitled to her, to her earnings. When she's married, her husband can annul her vows. But the primary primary question here is is that being married to her husband right, prevents her, the most fundamental aspect is, prevents her from marrying or having sex with another man okay, and that uh, changes in two ways, she gets she becomes under her own control in two ways so what are the three ways to be acquired I'm going to obviously go back to that word which is a key word, what are the three ways to be acquired with kesef, star and bia, so kesef is is you give a object of value. We traditionally do a ring. Um, the ring does not appear anywhere in the Gemara. Um, it's um, but um, uh, actually the first mention of it in is, is in a book called um, Sefer Chilukim, which is a work from the Gaonic period, which is a record of his of actually observed observed different practices between uh, the Jews in Eretz Israel and the Jews in Bavel. Um, Sefer Chilukim ben Anshei Mizrach um, the those of the East, you know, which is uh, which is in uh, Bavel to to Bnei Eretz Yisrael, and there it says that Anshei Mizrach don't use a ring in Kiddushin, and Anshei Eretz Yisrael do use a ring in Kiddushin. Um, so we can another discussion about why that is and why that was probably a regional difference. Anyway, in the Bavli and even in the Yushami, you certainly see no mention of it. Kesef is the giving of some object and saying Hareyat Mikudeshet Li, behold, you are betrothed to me. Also, what is central to this, which is going to come up later, but not mentioned in the Mishnah. But something that we also saw central to a get is the need for Adim, only with the presence of Adim, not just to prove that it happened, but to actually turn it into a legally binding act. Okay, so that's Kesef. Star is. Adim's not legally binding? Correct. It's called Adikium, just like we found by Gitin. Star is a writ that basically says the simplest version is a, a write on a piece of paper, Hare At Nikudeshet Li, and you give that in front of Adim. Okay. Um, um, uh, and uh, and um, uh, Bia is, as it says, is sex. What the Adam actually have to see, presumably they could be outside of the room, they don't have to be in the room itself, okay? But anyway, and also not any act of sex, it has to be sex done in the context of creating Kiddushin, of creating this as, uh, you know, of making them as husband and wife, uh, making them uh, betrothed. Um, I should also use this as a moment, because of the mention of Bia, to make it clear something that we've talked about a lot, but really requires re- restating here, the difference between Kiddushin and Nisuin. Kiddushin is the act that legally makes the woman considered a married woman, which means that if she were to now, as I said, uh, well, first of all, accept, uh, you know, a Kiddushin from another man, it would not be binding, but also if she were to sleep with another man, it would be considered an act of adultery. However, Kiddushin, 
does not yet mean that they are have a um, are, are living together in a lived relationship. It does not mean that the husband and wife are yet having sex. Um, that they are you know creating a household together. All of that happens at the moment of nisuin, at the moment of uh, what we would call chuppah, where they actually begin living together. And the reason, and not the reason, but uh, the, the I mean the question, the reason is a different issue. But the reality about why uh, of those as two separate acts are you know um, I think people are aware you know that in the uh, altar haim right you know they used to like uh, have arranged marriages with the parents of both sides you know which could be when the kids were just like I don't know five years old or something they would arrange the marriage then they'd grow up and then they'd actually get married well that reality actually is reflected I mean the, the thing is and then the arranged marriage you know what's to uh, you might arrange it and then one side would change their mind what's to stop a side from backing out right they just watch Fiddler so it's the kids on Broadway right so it's first you arrange marriage with Laser Wolf and then you break it out so what's to stop that from happening so you know that's why they would do the Tanoim the Tanoim would basically be that if either side backs out on this, arra- on this arrangement there's going to be severe pe- financial penalties um, so that was to make it a type of a binding arrangement but actually what it used to be is you didn't have a Shidduch with Tanoim what you actually had was you had Kedushin you had a betrothal okay now that the groom would have to have been of age because you can't but the girl could have been just betrothed off by her uh, father even when she was a minor so the groom gives some uh, some object of value to the girl's father and now it's a bound uh, it's bound you know it's a binding reality they technically are married okay and when people hear like Kedusha right you can marry off like a girl like two years old you know or whatever you're horrified but the, but the reality is I'm not saying you should be horrified but still the reality is is that they would not start living together right away right they'd only live together you know 10 years later maybe I mean she'd grow up already she'd be good 12, 13 years old <laughs> I don't know maybe she'd even be 15 anyway but okay but then they, so just because it would be that but you wouldn't need Tanayim because what would make it a binding arrangement would be the Kiddushin that preceded the actual living together could be by a decade or more okay and then they would actually start living together and that would be the Nisuin so Nisuin is covered in Mesechus vote, and that deals with or once you know A the reality of when you would have Chuppah what constitutes Chuppah what the various types of obligations would be, right? The man's obligation would be share at least in the Torah, to clothe, to provide domicile, to provide, you know, food, um, to have regular, uh, to, to have, uh, you know, uh, uh, intercourse on regular intervals, to have sex with his wife on regular intervals, you know, her obligations to him, you know, in terms of the fact that she would, her earnings would go to him, other types of ways in which would create reciprocal obligations, right? That would be when they actually created, set up house together, began to live together and that was after Nisuin that is not what Kiddushin is Kiddushin is just it becomes binding technically she's married if she sleeps with another man it's an act of adultery if she gets married to another man it, will, will, it, will, won't, it won't take effect if she does not want to be married anymore she still requires a get it makes it all binding but it has not yet become but that's all sort of like on paper right it has not yet become a real lived marriage relationship yet the only reason this Masechet comes afterwards is it's a shorter Masechet it's four Prakim as opposed to, to vote so the order is goes by you know it's why it also comes after Gitin okay but conceptually this is comes first which is why by the way getting back to what Rashi said when Rashi says Konet Atzma Rashi says in order to marry another man Rashi did not say in order that let's say now uh, her husband no longer can annul her vows or her husband is no longer entitled to her earnings because those types of things happen only after Nisuin where we're not talking about Nisuin we're only talking about Kiddushin well, so the only way the father 
might have a... Does, right, doesn't matter, but that's not in vis-a-vis -vis her being nicknamed by her husband. So the only relevance of her being nicknamed by her husband after Kiddushin, not, assuming not Nisuin, the, what it means is, is that she can't marry or have sex with another man. All the other ways in which she's under her husband's control, legally, halachically, whatever, those happen at Nisuin. They don't happen at Kiddushin. So Rashi is very Miduyak. I mentioned it, though, because of the aspect of Bia, that we are not talking about the type then I sort of sex when they start living together, that's Nisuin. We're talking about a single act of sex, which is done in the context or for the purpose of making them betrothed, even though even after the Bia, they would might go for another, I don't know, three years before they have, you know, before they start living together and actually begin, you know, begin, you know, begin having a, an ongoing sexual relationship before, before the Nisuin. This is a single act that makes it Kiddushin. Rosh, Charlie, your hand was up before. Oh, back to Kessif. Uh, literally, that means silver, but by this time it meant anything of value. Um, it's a good point because we're going to talk about you know we'll, we'll read the next line in the mission and I'll get to you. I'll, that's a good point. Okay. So I'll get to that next line. I should also say that a common misunderstanding of this is kesef star and bia is kesef is like the ring, the star is the ksuva, and bia is like the yichud room. Okay, now <laughs> that's obvious. That's a mis uh, obvious it's a misunderstanding. The ksuva, the, the ksuva and yichud have to do with with uh, ksuvot, with nisui, not with Kiddushin, um, and so on. However, that being said, um, if you look at the ancient Ketuvot from, uh, from the Cairo Gniza, what's his name, was done work with that, Mordechai Freiman or whatever, anyway, the language of it, sort of, you know, and the very fact that in the Ketuvah itself, it says, you know, um, you know, blah, 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 you know, you know, uh, it, you know that the Kosen said, you know, it actually has the the fact that he said, you know, you know, you know, be to me for a wife. It actually has that language in the Ksuv itself, although the Ksuv is really a record of that, and the Ksuv is really about the Chuppah and the Nisuin and not about the Kedushin, but once you started having them at the same time and it started recording that, so it actually, there is some indication that even though it wasn't really functioning as a Shtar Kedushin, there was some desire to sort of look at this as also a type of, meaning it's, it is a misunderstanding, and don't get me wrong, it's a complete halachic misunderstanding, that the ksuva is what's referred to as the star. The star here is writing and giving it as an act of kiddushin. And we actually have we actually have no evidence that that ever occurred historically. The Gemara has a lot of stories about kesef kiddushin. Actually, you know, a man went up to a woman in a marketplace and gave her a basket of fruit and said You have all these stories in the Gemara. Clearly, it's all what's dealt with in halacha. But you don't actually have any stories in the Gemara, any halachic discussion around star kiddushin. It never actually seems to never have actually been used, uh, but nevertheless, again, it is interesting that in some ketuvot, I mean, you may even hear an echo of it today that we include that line in our ketuvot, but another ketuvot, it even sounds a little bit like they were conceptualizing the ksuva also in addition to what it was, which was a document about mutual obligations related to the nisuin, that there might have been a little bit of thinking about it as a little bit of also of a star kiddushin, although technically it is, that's not what a ksuva is, and there's no evidence they actually did a star kiddushin. The yes. same star has to be signed by Adim and all that? Uh, that's not so clear. There has to be Adim. I don't know if it has to be signed by Adim. That's last year. And she year. doesn't have to sign either. Her Correct. acceptance of it is... Exactly, yeah. Is there identifying... 
Information. Just line, hurry up, no, well, that's an arc to vote. Um, I have to look again at what Simon's work, but he says something about the way in which it's framed in those two vote makes it sound a little bit like they were sort of seeing Vixuva as, ty- as a type of a strike condition as well. I'm not remembering exactly his argument. Um, but anyway, but certainly halachically, it, w- it was, not, you know, it is not. Um, okay, so now the Gemara says the submission comes out following. So, Kesef, Star, and Bia. Now we, now we double back and explain those terms. But Kesef, what is Kesef? Uh, so a dinar or the equivalent of a dinar. So here, as Charlie says, a dinar was a silver, the, the, the silver coin of the Roman Empire. And that would be Kesef, would literally be silver. And then the next level of Chiddush is, so it's the smallest coin of silver, but then the next level of Chiddush is that it could even be the equivalent of that. It doesn't have to actually be silver or it doesn't actually have to be a coin. It just has to be something of that value. Beitilamin Bepruta, which was a copper coin, Ubishvei Pruta, or its equivalent. So for him, obviously, Kesef did not have to mean silver. Um, but then it says, the Kamihi Pruta, what is a Pruta? Echad Mishmona Isar Haitalki, one-eighth of an Italian Isar. Now, I believe that an Italian Isar was, uh, was silver. I believe that that, that, that is uh, correct. What, do, what, uh, what does it say there over there in Stein's also about what an Isar is? Or do you know, Charlie? I'm looking at Art's vote. That what? The Italian Isar was a silver coin. It was silver. It as much as four grains of barley. Right, okay, so it was silver. As, as, as opposed to 96 grains of barley for the gold. Right, it was one, right, yeah. Stein's yeah, it's one eighth, yeah. Stein's also says that ordinarily an Isar was copper. And he's oh an an, or, an and an Italian and an Italian one is also copper. It says because there are differences in size, weight, and value between different types of isar, there is sometimes specified the references the Italian isar, not the equivalent Greek coin. Okay. Oh. All right. So I don't know if because because it is interesting, right? Why of all places are we trying to identify? I mean, clearly it seems one thing is just that people were more familiar with the Italian isser than with the pruta. But it's, a, it's strange. It seems like if a pruta is the smallest, like if we talk about a penny, and everybody knows what a penny is, right? Like if that's the smallest coin, right? It's the coin that's probably also the most common. So I do want if the I have to investigate more. But if the Italian isser is silver, it might be why Beitillo is giving the reference. It's copper. Signs up says yes. Yeah, Char- yeah, that's what Charlie just quoted in the English signs up. Yeah. yeah. So the, the question is, is the Italian one? Okay, three versions of the same thing say that it's copper. But they're talking about the standard Isar, the Italian one. Even the uh, Roman, mm. the Roman us. Uh-huh. So then, so then it's interesting that they're giving that in that value because if they were trying to give it in a value of silver, you'd understand it trying to fit into the language of Kesef in the Mishnah. But here, but so, but if that's true, then anyway, according to Beitilel, then clearly it just means uh, just means something of value. It does not mean silver. Okay. Um, so um, now um, I, I'll, I'll get back to that whole thing in a minute. But let's just finish the Mishnah. The Kohen is that's when we get it from She gets her, she acquires herself, meaning she's no longer under her husband's control specifically as we said, for getting married to someone else um, that's but specifically about Kiddushin or for being prohibited in, act of, in terms of adultery, so in two ways, either through a get or through the death of the husband um, now a sister-in-law right, when the husband dies, which is also ironic, because it's also, in, in, there are cases where the death of the husband does not totally free her, if there is a, a living brother and she has no children, so in that case Nikneit Bibiyah no children 
and he right he there on right correct correct he has no children the, the sister-in-law so in that case Nikneh is acquired to the brother-in-law not through Ketzef and Star that would not do anything at least biblically it would only be an act of sex the Konet Atzma and she is freed from the brother-in-law either through an act of Chalitza of the whole drawing withdrawing of the shoe whatever and spitting or or if he dies that means while she is in the status of just being a Yivama after he's had sex with her and she's a, then she's a normal married woman and then it's only and then it's through a get or the death of the Yabam um, now uh, what of the Baal not the Oh, right, after she's married, right. After she's married, it's of the Baal, right. Right, of the, you know, who, the guy who was the Abam. Anyway, so, correct. Um, now, uh, let me say a few, a few things. Obviously, we'll get to the key question here is going to be the word nicknate, which we're going to get to right at the beginning in the Gemara. But let me just also make a point about, a textual point here, which is that the um, Mishnah clearly reflects a later gloss. You know, the, um, uh, the, uh, uh, the, um, uh, you know the um, the academic those who academic Talmud like it already started with David Hoffman and others you know have long noted that the Mishnayot um, have layers in them I mean the Gemara itself recognizes the reality about a Mishnah Rishonah you know even the Mishnah realizes it Zo Mishnah Rishonah Mishnah Ronamru you know so that there could be an early Mishnah and then a later Mishnah because you know the Mishnayot were not just were not authored by Rebbe they were edited by Rebbe these things were being taught orally you know even Rebbe didn't write them when we say Rebbe wrote the Mishnah, he didn't write it. He just, you know, he edited it or whatever, and then he had people memorize it, and it was still, uh, it was still an oral culture. But anyway, these things had been these various texts that eventually made up the Mishnah had been, you know, orally transmitted over, you know, hundreds of years, and then Rebbe, you know, organized them and edited them and so on, and selected them. So there certainly are earlier and later ones, but what also is true is that, um, is that later, we often don't, don't realize that later Tanaim are often get, offering commentaries on earlier Mishnayot, and those commentaries are embedded within the Mishnah itself. Um, the most clearest example of this would be, or a very clear example would be the opening Mishnah Psachim where it says any place that you don't bring in Chametz you don't have to check so why did they say you have to do two uh, rows of the uh, wine cellar well Beitzame says it's these two rows and Beitzame says it's those two rows so whoever said two rows of a, of a wine cellar right they, when, when, why did they say well, we never said it so the point is there obviously was an early teaching that you had to check two rows of a wine cellar so this now later Mishnah, which is saying one minute you only have to check where you bring chametz, right? Wants to understand. Well, how does that fit in with this early Mishnah that teaches to why do you bring? You know what it is. And then on that early Mishnah about two rows in a wine cellar, Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai are debating what does that early Mishnah mean when it says two rows? Rows. What's the meaning of those two rows? So they're not just debating what part of a wine cellar you have to check. They're they're debating the meaning of an early Mishnah. Okay, we actually had that by as well, if you remember, and then you had Rabbi Meir Omer this, Rabbi Yud Omer that. So, which is basically later Tanaim trying to explain what the phrase Medina Tayam in the Mishnah means. So, you have the same thing here. The early Mishnah, clearly this Mishnah has glosses, because I mean, the, the way this Mishnah obviously read initially was, right, and what do you think the next, the, the, where that where the mission should continue after that. Konet Atzma, I guess. Konet Atzma, I guess. We meet at the bow. Hayivama 
And as we're going to keep on learning the remaining Mishnayot about how things are acquired, it's going to be very simple. It's just going to be these simple, straight, apodictic statements. This, 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 this. Okay, end of story. So, but then that gets glossed by Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai. Because then it's, wait, 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 what's Kesef? Oh, let me tell you, there's a debate. But Kesef, that line that appeared in that early Mishnah, right, Kesef Sharbia, what does that word Kesef mean? Let me introduce to you a debate of Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai about what that word Kesef means. Oh, and by the way, now that Beit Hillel mentioned an Isar, let's also talk about what, an, I mean, about a, about a Pruta, let's also talk about, there's like a gloss on a gloss. What does a Pruta mean? It's one-eighth of an Italian Isar. But that's important just to appreciate the structure of the Mishnah. It's also important in terms of thinking about what the Mishnah could have meant before Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai made their comment. What Kesef might have meant without that comment of Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai, that's something we'll get back to, yes. Well, I was going to mention that, because if had, if had this Mishnah been written a thousand years earlier, that would have been before coins had existed. Oh, uh, you're it back with your coin things. Okay, what fine. <laughs> what amount of Kesef would have to have been back at the time of Mount and Torah? I know. You, you liked your whole discussion about when coins were introduced. We're not going to go there right now. I'm more interested in whether Kesef would have been a Pruto or a Dina or would have been something much more much more, much larger sum I think without Beit Dillon Beit Shammai's introduction in that Mishnah but just that Kesef Shar and Bia I might as well say it now for example we're going to have it says that the Chosim Sheyesh right when you buy a real estate it's Niknes Kesef Shar Bechazaka or an Ev that is acquired by you know you know Kesef Shar and Chazaka so what does Kesef mean when you say real estate is acquired by Kesef right if you say that the house is purchased by Kesef, how much Kesef do you mean? Do you market mean value. Market value. Do you mean a dinar? Do you mean a prutra? No. You mean the going rate, right? That's why the, whatever's being asked for. So if you just did not have the gloss of Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai in this Mishnah, and you said Isha nicknames for Kesef, right, how much money would you think we were talking about? How much they agree on. Well, right. How much they agree on. Or what would you think the standard market value would be? Maybe the whatever it is. You know, Probably the two, right, the Hamishim Kesef, talking about Kesef, the Hamishim Kesef in the Torah, which is the standard Moar Betulot, which is the standard amount that is given when a, when a virgin, at least, you know, is married, usually to the father. Okay. She could be sold for in the marketplace. Or perhaps, well, exactly. So, well, as what, as a slave or as a, well, certainly in the marriage marketplace. Okay, so that is really interesting about thinking about before they tell Shammai when it just said Kesef Sharn Bia what did the Kesef here refer to was that referring to the Mohar a significant amount and so on and how they, by, by, by just saying right away that we're not talking about that we're talking about a Dina or a Pruta completely changes how we think about what this transaction means um, and therefore that really will get us now to the beginning of the Gemara because that's going to get us into this question about this phrase of Niknate and how much is it really being conceptualized as a sense of purchase or not so I might as well just say this right at the outset, which is, I mean, it's going to be the first line of the Gemara, but I'll say it and then we'll see it in the Gemara, is that the Mesechah is called Kiddushin. Everywhere else in the Mesechah, this is the only Mishnah that uses the word Kinyan, to purchase. Every other time in the Mesechah that it refers to the institution of marriage, or betrothal, I should say, if I'm being more precise, it refers to it as Kiddushin, and Mekadesh, and, you know, and Mekudeshet, etc. Only one place does it refer to it as Kinyan. And the ongoing question is, how much is marriage conceptualized, understood, the institution, by Chazal as a type of a purchase, which does not mean 
purchased as a woman as a slave, okay, you know, from, but what would, it, but if we were to think about marriage as a man purchasing the woman, what for, in what way would he purchase her? Like, not that he would be, have a right to her labor, which is only rabbinic, right, but that, he, that he's entitled to her labor, but what would that mean? A woman as property, can you think? I mean, it's sexual. Right. He has rights, actually. You know, he has uh, basically as, as sexual property. He has rights to have sex with her. Not just that other men are not allowed, but that he's entitled. Because it's actually interesting, which is, is that the uh, Gemara that, um, you know, it talks about the husband's obligation to have sex with his wife as a chiv of Ona, but it doesn't, never talks about where we learn that the wife is obligated to have sex with her husband. But of course, it takes it completely for granted. If a woman refuses to have sex with her husband, she's called a moredet, she's divorced without a tsuva, but it never actually says where we learn it from. And it could be just basically just presumed, because that's the idea of what Kinyan means. The other aspect would be that, uh, that they're considered to be his children, fundamentally, and not hers. You know, according to the, to the uh, at least now, it's based much more on, you know, the way halacha developed on the best interest of the child. But according to the halacha, when the children were very small, you know, they, and they needed like five, up to five or something, and they needed their mother, you know, they were with their mother. But afterwards, if there was a divorce, the children would go um, with the father. Um, you see it in the Torah. The Torah says that if somebody smites a pregnant woman and it's a miscarriage, who does the person pay? Pays the husband, right? Not the mother. Okay, so there's a way in which, you know, that that it could be marriage could have been understood as a type of a purchase, not to own like an Evid Knani, but we do have an institution like as property, but we do have an institution of Evid Imri, owning another person for some aspect of that person. So the woman being owned as sexual property, you know, for rights to sex and for rights to uh, the children. Um, and that is one model. It's a model we don't like to talk about, but the Gemara is definitely going to be talking a lot about the Kenyan type of a model. The other model is a Kiddushin model, which, without fully defining it now, is something that more focuses on an issue about personal status. That basically means, no, you become from being a single woman to a married woman, not allowed to have sex with another man now, etc., but we're not talking about any sense of ownership. It's about a sense about a relationship and a personal status and not about a sense of an ownership. So the only Mishnah that uses the term Kinyan is this one. And this Mishnah is very early, okay, because because as we're going to see, this is going to be this collection of Mishnayot that I already indicated, Ha'isha Nikneis, Ha'yavama Nikneis, Evid Ivri, Evid Knani, it's going to be a list of how different objects or things or people are acquired, and there's going to be, if you take out this gloss, there's going to be like no debates and no, and no opinions. There's just going to be this all tight, anonymous little grouping. Um, and, you know, and scholars have long understood that those small, little, tight groupings all around a theme are some of the earliest collections of Mishnayot. Like when coming up to Purim, right? The Ein Bains, right? In Megillah. Ein Bain this, for this. Ain Bain this, for this. Ain Bain this, you know, Ein Bain Yom Kippurim, you know, the Shabbat. Ain Bain, you know, all those things are like these early, tight collections of, of, of Mishnayot. And they date very early. So probably the correct way of understanding this is that originally, without the gloss of Beit El Beit Shammai, Kesef meant a significant amount. It meant the 50 uh, Kesef, the 200 Zuz in the Torah, when that amount was given up front, that at one stage could have been understood as a type of a purchase price, and it could have really been understood as a type of a Kinyan. Okay, but at a later stage, what happened to that 
50 kesef, which became 200 zuz. Yeah, it became not something Later. paid up front, Later. it became something paid at the end in case of death or divorce, was there to protect the woman's interest, so it actually would have money to f- fall back on, right? And it was actually done, to actually not only that, according to Hazal, it was put done in a certain way to, 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 to slow down the husband from divorcing his wife too quickly, that he'd have to know that there'd be financial consequences. So it was all this stuff that was done to protect her status in marriage. And the interesting thing that happened by moving it to the back was that it changed the way in which the act of kiddushin was perceived. Because now you weren't giving a significant amount of front. You were just giving something symbolic. And that's then what prompts Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai to talk about a kesa, a dinar, or a pruta. Because if we're giving this at the end now, this is the ksuva, this is not the mohar that we give up front. It's a ksuva that we give at the end. So what's this kesef mean anymore? Because we don't give a significant amount of money. We only do something symbolic. Oh, so it's got to be a pruta, it's got to be a dinar. And at that stage, after that happens, it no longer gets referred to as kinyan. Uh, from that point on, right, it's completely referred to as, as, as mekudesha. So it's really quite interesting that in the first parak we are going to see this ongoing tension between conceptualizing it as kinyan and conceptualizing it as kedushin. Um, and what really seems to be talking about is a way in which this institution evolved. And a lot of that has to do with this gloss on the Mishnah and how much we're talking about money that was sort of given up front, a significant amount, and how much we were talking about something that's just symbolic. Right, okay. Then you feel like more purposeful. Yeah, otherwise it's completely a symbolic act. And certainly, I mean, think about the ring. Nobody thinks giving a ring is an act of acquisition. Right. Right. So it may be worth more than that. Well, uh, no, not worth more than 200 zoos. Okay, Ha'isha Nikne. So let's take a look. And now we're going to see, now, now let's take a look at how that gets reflected in this uh, first discussion. So let's take a look. Ha'isha Nikne. So a woman is acquired. Okay, so this is exactly the question Gemara asks. Why is it that this Mishnah refers to it as a woman being acquired, but the next parak and all in the entire rest of the Masechet, the verb being used is not Kinyan, but Kiddushin. It says the man is Mikadesh. So the Mishnah says, no. The reason we say Nikneis is because the first thing we focus on is Kesef. And Kesef Minale, and by the way, where does this come from? Now this is just, there's going to be a whole sugya later about how do we know that these are the ways in which Kiddushin takes place. Here we're only referring to it in order to explain the the use of the idea of Kenyan. Because what is the idea of Kesef based on? It's learned out from a Gezerah Shafa of Kicha Kicha, taking, taking, that we learn from the purchase of the field of, of, uh, of Ephron by Avraham. A man takes a woman. I have given the money of the field, take it from me. So you see that Kicha is used parallels by uh, taking a woman and taking a field. Okay, so again, notice the parallels to kinyanin, to acquisition. The kicha and, so already you have that parallel. The kicha itri kinyan, and it's specifically that take of, of, of to take is referred, and taking a field is talked about as purchase. The field that Avraham purchased. Inami sadot or another place in which you see that fields are purchased with money, because as Tosus points out, you could have said Avram gave the money, but the act of purchase occurred through something else. Maybe that was just the, the, the you know, the fee, the, the cost, but maybe the actual act of taking possession was, I don't know, through chazak or something. So we quote this other person that says, no, the giving of the money is actually what, uh, what, uh, what effects 
the acquisition of the field. So you see that fields are acquired with money. That's what happened with Avraham. It uses the language of Kenyan. It uses the language of Kicha. So when it says Kicha, by the wife, Kicha Kishisha, it means possession, Kenyan, acquisition through the giving of Kesef. So that's why we call it Kenyan. Okay, now there you go. Very blatant, right? Parallel to taking possession by paying something of value and the use of the word Kenyan of possessing. Okay, so that's why we started with this verb of Kenyan because we're going to start with Kiddushay Kesef. So Tani Ha'isha Niknet. Okay, so says, So then be consistent. So why not just use the word Kenyan through the home of So the Gemara says, no. Meikara Tani Yulishna Diorisa. In the beginning, we use the language that reflects biblical terminology. Again, Kinyan is not, is, is an association with Kicha, but ultimately it reflects biblical terminology, and Kinyan is in another Pasuk in the Torah. Ulubisov, but in the end, Tani Yulishna Diorabanan. We use rabbinic terminology. The rabbinic terminology was about, was no longer to call this Kinyan. It was to call this Kiddushin. Okay, so there you go. What bigger evidence do you have of a change of how an, uh, how an institution is conceptualized, except, you know, by the words that are used. Words are not arbitrary. Words reflect, right, a very deep sense of that. How are we understanding the nature of this institution? So in the Torah, you know, it was, you know, the word to refer to was Kinyan. It was conceptualized as Kinyan. We refer to it with a very different type of a model. The word we use is Kiddushin, a different type of a conceptualization of what this institution is. So what does that word mean? So, um, what is that rabbinic language? What does it mean? Now, that's not something beautiful about how, you know, how marriage is this a sanctified institution and it elevates the relationship between husband and wife. I mean, it might be that too, okay, but, it, but the specific thing the Gemara goes here is like an act of sanctifying, I don't know, an animal or an object, which basically means that everybody else, like it no longer can be touched by anybody else. Nobody else can, can you know, derive benefit from it. It's offhand, off limits to everyone else. So a man is Makadesh, a woman, and she becomes off limits to other men. Now, that's, again, we would have hoping that would say, that, right, right, Hetish is off limits to you too, which is an excellent point. So Tosos, and it's a little bit disturbing, because we would like it not just to say about how she's forbidden, to, and also has this sense of, like, control. I am making you forbidden, well, who gives you the right to make me forbidden? It doesn't speak anything about the relationship. So Tosos has a very nice missing piece to this, which also gets to Michael's point, because if I normally make something hectic, it's also to me as well. It starts, I can only make something hectic if I own it. That gives me the right to make it hectic, and then it becomes usher to me. Here, I didn't start by owning this woman. So what gave me the right to make her hectic? And she doesn't become usher to me. So look at Tosos. Tosos says, the usher la koyama kehektesh, says Tosos, vereyat mikudeshet li, what does the li mean? Why does it say vereyat mikudeshet? Right? So li means kolomer li li. So mikudeshet lolam bishvili. Why are you forbidden to everybody else? Because you are mine. Because you are related to me. So it's therefore because of your connection to me that's what makes you forbidden to everyone else this is hectic to God because this belongs to God it's usher to everyone else okay so it's, so those 
adds that relation. Because you are mine, right, you are forbidden to everyone else. Now, she has to agree. We're going to get to that in a minute. I but the point is, she's not my object that I'm just doing it. Because she's agreeing to this, what we're starting by doing is we're creating this relationship. Okay, I'm still the one that's, that's doing it, but she's agreeing to, to this. I create this relationship that she's now connected to me that makes her now forbidden to everybody. So what that does is, it is not the same aspect of possession, okay, of, kin- of Kenyan, of acquisition. It is much more about a status, a personal status that emerges through a relationship. But the lee, the relationship, is not owned by, right, when it says, you know, if you think about muktish l'shamayim, you could think it's owned by God. You think hektish is, I'm transferring ownership to God. But you could also say, sanctify an animal to be a korban to God, which is not about a sense of ownership, right? It's about a relationship, right? It, you know, we, I, mean, I was going to say belongs to but again it's not that sense of ownership to the same idea so what you do is you shift from the sense of a world of just taking possession of objects and owning and being in control to a type of a relationship which is an exclusive relationship and the result of which is it shuts everybody else out and it also has a very nice religious language of Mikudeshet okay you know which uh, can be obviously used to talk about something about the nature of marriage and you know sort of sanctifying the relationship so what we have is a radical switch I mean, maybe not as radical, right? We don't have, we're not talking about it as partnership. By the way, talking about interesting language and talking about ancient to vote in these, um, to vote sound from the Cairo Geniza, some of them refer to Kiddushin as Shutafutzo, hmm. this partnership. So it's quite interesting how going back already like 2,000 years, or right, of 1,000 years, that's 1,000 years, okay, you know, that's like how we tend to think about marriage as a type of a reciprocal, you know, mutual partnership or whatever. Here, still, the man is the funder. It was all still a polygamous society. He could still marry somebody else. It wasn't mutually exclusive. But nevertheless, it goes from the sense of ownership and possession by the radical shift to the sense of a relationship that is an exclusive type of a relationship. Yes? I just feel like I should point out that there's a very easy way for it to be very much like uh, uh, being, might be something to the base of the Yeah. If you refer to it in terms of the woman, the woman can be Makadish herself to this man. Oh, so she's doing it to herself. You mean, what? Then it would be an exact parallel. So the reason it's a little bit tortured is because... She's the one doing it. She's in control of herself when she's fully giving herself over to this man. Yeah, that's a good point. Of course, if she were to say that, okay, then we're going to see later that's going to be a big big problem about whether that works because the man has to be the one in control. But you're right. I mean, if it were the woman doing it, it would actually, it could work very, very nicely. Yes. Uh, There's parallel here with... Uh, God and uh, um, Yisrael. We are God's people. God has taken us. Right. 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 I mean, that metaphor is used a great deal. Okay. Yes. Okay. So let's take a, I just want to see one thing. Hold on. I want to mention one minute. Okay, so if I take a quick look at turn back to Tosos. I want to point out two quick lines of Tosos um, on Beza Aleph. Tosos has a question like this. For Tosos, the Ketef, so Tosos says, why don't you just say that if, uh, uh, so why do you have to sort of bring in the whole sort of like, uh, you know, Sedei Ephron type, type of a thing? Yeah, you can 
although we know that purchasing fields are called Kenyan, Kesef the Isha Lo Ikri Kenyan, I would not have assumed, just because you told me that a Kedushin works with Kesef, I wouldn't have necessarily called it a Kenyan like I call fields a Kenyan. Maybe it would be working in some different type of a model. Okay, so that's meaning talking about like Kesef doesn't have to be reflect an idea of possession, even though you have it in other things by that. So that's why we say, ah, but we learn Isha from fields, and that's why, and fields are called Kenyan, so each is going to call Kenyan. So Tosos puts out there, right, that you could have Kesef functioning in a way that doesn't symbolize Kenyan, but ultimately if we're learning it from fields, that's what, you know, and by Avraham, that's what it is symbolizing, and that's that early... Because people aren't really fundamentally possessions. What? Because people aren't fundamentally possessions. Right, or we wouldn't have assumed exactly that it was the same, but if the source of it is Kicha Kicha from the field by Avraham, right, then it really does reflect an idea of Kinyan, and that actually is the Lishna de Oraita. Again, then that shifts with the Lishna de Rabbanan, but that starts as the Lishna de Oraita. The next one is also interesting. I was waiting for somebody to ask this. So Tosu says, points out there's a logical problem here. He says, There talks about taking by the money. But it's really not the same taking, if you think about it for a minute. Avram says, take the money of the field. So what you're taking is the money. Whereas it says, you're not taking the money, you're taking the woman. You're taking, if you would, the object, right? So that's just an interesting problem with that parallel, just to note. But that's, the other thing I wanted you to see was the next line of Tosos. Tosos says like this, why didn't it say why did you why do you say Kenyan? Why not say he's taken, right? The farmer takes a wife, right? Why not say taken, right? So Nanda Ervin Hakol Nikach the Kesef, Ubiya Shaykh Nami Loshan Kicha, the Sivi Isha Shay Kachas Achoto, the Ashama de Ro Shaykh Lisni Safe of Lokachas Azatma. So it's a technical reason. But the reason I wanted you to see that was because I wanted to stop for a minute on the Tosus that says that by Bia Shaykh Loshan Kicha, the Sivi Isha Shay Kachas Achoto. And I wanted to stop for a minute and say the following. While I started by saying that in the Torah, the model of Kenyan probably is the earliest model, and you learn it from the idea of Mohar, this significant amount of money that was given, you know, usually to the father, which by the way also very much reflects a Kenyan model, which is that the woman has the object, because she's being married off by the father, she's not marrying herself off, so that just more makes her sort of the object of a transaction, right? So, you have that in the Torah by Mohar, but actually, if you ask about the language of Kicha in the Torah, which is going to be so much the focus of our Masechet, that Kicha's Kiddushin, actually shot in the Torah, Kiyikach Ishisha is not referring to Kiddushin. It's referring to Nisuin. It's referring to sex, as Tazu says, Kicha could refer to sex, right? And Kiyikach does not mean Kiddushin, it means has sex with. And here's the proof of it. Mira Ish Asher Eras Isha Velo Lekacha Right after Eirsin comes Kicha, so Kikach Ish Isha Uba Aleha does not mean two stages in the Torah. Doesn't mean first Eirsin and then sex. Kikach Ish Isha means Uba Aleha. Kicha is a full taking of possession. Is when she actually is brought into the house and they're and they're together and they're living together and they're having sex. That's Kicha in the Torah. Eirsin in the Torah, Kiddushin in the Torah is the word Eirsin. Asher Eras Isha. 
Okay, so actually that's interesting because so much of the limudim uh, that we're going to learn in the, from the psukim about what makes kiddushin is based on the psukim about ki yikach ishisha kicha. But so much in the Torah, kicha refers actually to the bia slash nisuin that occurs after erusin, and we're focusing on the erusin. All right, a lot of things I'm throwing at you now, right at the beginning. But you think yeah. it trans- I'm trying to understand what you're trying, what you're trying to say. Then it transforms. This is not part of the previous point about how it switched from in the Torah it's Kenyan based and in Chazal it's more this other thing called Kiddushin this is just an interesting parenthetical footnote comment which is that in the Torah Kicha means uh, Nisuin and Bia and Chazal when they're learning out where do you learn Kiddushin from focus on Pesukim about Kicha whereas the actual Pesukim that really refer to this in the Torah are Eresin okay are the ones of Eras okay and the Kenyan model in the Torah is not from the word Kicha the Kenyan model in the Torah is from the fact that Eresin is effectuated through through a mohar that's given to the father. That's really the Kenyan model in the Torah. Okay, but either way, it's really a fascinating Gemara because I have to tell you, a number of Masechot open with these like tend to sometimes be these uh, boring linguistic discussions, which are often you know which are already from the uh, famous letter from Sri Ragon. He says that this was like a later edition of the Savarayim to the beginning of a couple of Masechot, and you could tell because it's like it's this large stam discussion. It doesn't introduce any new material. It just strings together some existing Mishnayot and Brightot and often discusses these technical linguistic points. And often it is. It's like it's, you know, sometimes it serves as a little intro to the Masechet because it brings in some key material that's going to be relevant. Like right here, within one sentence in, we were told what the basic basis of Kenyan was, right, about, about Kesef and so on, about how we knew Kesef. But normally, it's not too interesting. And by the way, the rest of the Daf is going to be like that. It's going to be very grammatical and not so interesting. But here, right at the beginning, dealing with a technical linguistic point about why do you call it Kiddushin versus Kenyan versus Kiddushin, we basically have said that the fundamental model in the Torah of Kiddushin is purchase of Kenyan, like a field with money, and then in the Torah, and then in Chazal, it switches to a concept of Kiddushin, which reflects a very different way of understanding that institution. And that's, out of this Mishnah, that's how every other Mishnah refers to, uh, you know, refers to this, refers to Kiddushin. Okay, so let's now continue. Okay, um, now the says like this. Um, why not say here, Ha'ish Koneh, so why not say, uh, I'm sorry, meaning, you know, why do you say Ha'isha Niknait? Let's start with Ha'ish Koneh. Why do you have it in the passive? Mishim de Kabayu, the Misni Seifa, the Konet Atzma. Because she acquires herself. Bidida. So it has to talk about focusing on her, not on him. So it says she's acquired. A man takes a woman, purchases a woman, and I guess, you know, per, you know whatever makne would be, gives her back her own ownership. Right? Why not sort of still focus it by the man? Because when he dies, he's not giving her her freedom. Okay? He's not being makne to her. That happens from heaven. That happens automatically. Actually, the better answer, besides just the technical issue about Ha'ish, that by here it has to say that she's Konet Atzma, is the fact that the whole structure of these Mishnayot of the first Perak are switching the 
object that's being purchased and therefore telling you the different forms of acquisition. You know, you know, you know, Evan Ivri is nicknamed this way. Evan Knani is nicknamed this way. Mnuchasim Sheizem Achrayis is nicknamed this way. Telling you, here's the object, here's how it's purchased. So it's obviously focusing on the object, not on the purchaser. All right, but anyway, that's the real answer about why that's, you know, why the Mishnayot are structured that way. Okay. Anyway, now the Gemara says like this. Um, it said the man purchases. Maybe you could marry a woman against her will. Which would, well, against she it emphasizes her to sort of make her a little bit more of a subject. The midata in from only with her desire, yes. Not against her desire. Now again, this is amazing what the Stam is doing here in this idea of sort of shifting the realities of how this institution, like, originally existed. Because in the Torah, actually, it was not Midata. The only place it was Midata was in there, in, in, you know, in Aram, where they say, Right? But in, basically, the father married off the daughter. He never asked her. It was totally Shalom Midata. Okay? And she totally was an object. And what the Gemara is doing here is, in the very Mishnah, that's about Ha'isha Niknet, that reuses the word of Kinyan, it's choosing to read that the emphasis on the word Isha is to emphasize her subject status, not her object status. And the fact that she has a say, which is, again, so funny, because if you think about she doesn't have a say. If he, has, if he has sex with her, even against her will, it works, right? If you think about Evid Ivri, Evid Knani, well, maybe Evid Ivri, depending if he sold himself, right? all of those things are the objects of the act. They're not the subjects that necessarily have a say in the matter. But the Gemara is choosing to read Ha'isha Niknet as making her into a subject and actually saying that she does it mere tsona. Well, the Gemara interprets that in the Torah where the father marries the daughter, it interprets it only when she's a minor. It never says that in the Torah. But the Gemara chooses to interpret that he only has the right to marry her off when she's a minor. When she's an adult, she marries herself off. So that is, again, that's something that Chazal understood, that she actually does not remain an object. She does come under her own control once she becomes, you know, bat mitzvah or a nara or a bogeret. Okay? Did she need her to acquiesce when she was a minor? No. When she was a minor, it was still balkacha. Okay? But we, again, it's fascinating that we are choosing to read the Mishnah, right, which is clearly about her being an object, reading it as a subject and emphasizing the fact that it's midata. So, again, this shift that's occurring. Okay. Now it gets much less interesting. Why does it say shalosh, right, uh, which is a, uh, which is for the feminine, say shlosha, because it says shlosh drachim, so we're assuming that derech is masculine, say shlosha. We assume the kabayah let me see derech. The derech was in the keva. No, because derech is actually feminine. Why is derech feminine? Tchsiv v'hodata lehem aderech yochu ba. The past that they will go ba in it. So Gemara says one minute. Alatanya b'shiva drachim vodkim es hazav. You check hazav in seven ways to make sure that if he has this flow, is it really Torah? Is it the ziva of the Torah? Is it because it was caused by other things, by sleep or by food or by this or by that, then it's not diva. So you check in seven ways. So that's b'shiva, not b'sheva. This means sheva. If the word derech is actually mask is, is actually feminine. No, you see the kabbalah misni derech. You know what? Because derech it says derech. And derech is also a masculine word. There are some words that are both masculine and feminine. Dechsev, but derech echad, not achat. Yetsuei lecha, u'bishivad drachim, and not b'sheva. Yanusu lefanecha. 
So now we have derech sometimes as masculine, sometimes as feminine. The psukim contradict. Like why don't the psukim take a consistent grammatical position here? The nami masnisin hadadi and the missions contradict. So the missions no kri adadi lo The psukim are not a contradiction. Hacha the Torah kai. It's based on context. Whether we're going to choose the masculine or feminine form of derech. If we're talking about Torah, haderech yelchuba, and we mean to represent the way you sort of you know following the Torah. The Torah is keva to see Torah Hashem tnima. The Shivat Nafesh, the Torah is feminine. So Derech, which represents Torah, is using the feminine. It says, Although it doesn't point out the word Muhammad is itself a feminine word. But okay, men are the ones that are going to war. That's the Psukim, how context shapes it. And how about the Mishnayot? If talking about a woman, so Ktani and Keva, so we're going to use the feminine form of Derech and say Shlosha Drachim and actually me Shalosh Drachim and not Shlosha. Husband is Gabi Ishkai. When it says you check the man for seven ways, he could be a Zav. The darker and not only that, the checking is is done. Is, is that idea of checking only occurs in the ma, in the by a man? The darker shall Ishli Badek. A man is checked about the nature of his flow. Then darker shall Ishli Badek. Badek. But a woman who has a, a bleeding the, the source of the bleeding is not checked why not because if a woman has a form of, mens- of, of bleeding even if it was triggered by some outside force it would still make her either a nida or a zava so it's only by a man and his type of a ziva flow we have to identify the source so therefore since well, I don't know why I had to give that extra reason we're just talking about a zav but okay anyway since it's all very masculine there tani lashon zachar so it's there so therefore it says the male about Shiva Drachim and not Sheva Drachim okay so we'll end here we'll continue with this fun question about the masculine and feminine and Derech it's whatever we'll pick up with this tomorrow.